read a passage of scripture together this morning. Zechariah, the 12th chapter, verse 10. I allude to this a lot of, uh, of times when we're talking about the second coming of Christ, especially as it has to do with the Jewish people, because this is primarily for uh, unbelieving Jewish people who are still waiting for their Messiah, and he's going to come. And this is how they're going to recognize him, but also recognize, oh my goodness, it was Jesus. And so it's a very powerful passage, especially if you're dealing with Jewish people. Zechariah, the 12th chapter, 10th verse, if you would please, let's read. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Father, thank you for passages like this, that uh, those Old Testament evidences. Um, I mean, this was written, Zechariah, 500 years before Jesus even showed up. And yet along with Psalm 22 and other messianic psalms, Psalm 2, uh, it just manifests the sovereignty of God prophetically speaking, that there will come a day when my son will come into this world and be executed, and you will know him by the marks in his body. And Father, we thank you for that as well. Uh, someday we're going to recognize Jesus the same way. We are going to see the marks in his hands and his feet and his side, and our faith will turn to sight for we shall see him as he is. That's a hope for us, a promise for us, and a hope for Israel itself. So bless us as your people as we enter into your word today, we ask, we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said with me, please, amen. You may be seated. Well, we live in an incredible world with a tangible world, things we can touch. But we also know that we live in an intangible one. We, we live in a visible and an invisible world. We live in a world of belief. We live in a world of unbelief. We live in a world of hard to believe. And more and more, I just said this to Deb the other day, we live in a world of make-believe. Um, I think about that in two ways. Number one, uh, the way that Hollywood is now producing films, we're not going to need actors anymore. We're just going to create them visually. But the other side of that is, the make-believe is it is getting very, very difficult to know what truth is anymore. Everybody's making up their own truth, and it gets very difficult to, to discern, and maybe that should be a primary prayer for us as God's people, that God would give us discernment and wisdom to be able to sort through what is true and what is untrue. We're continually having to defend uh, that which is by faith and invisible, 
And it's going to become increasingly more difficult. So I thought I would start out this morning. I found this list on the internet. These are the top 13 things that are invisible but incredibly true. Are you ready? Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) This is an I can't see it, but I have to believe it. Here we go. Number one, top 10, top 13 things. First of all, radio waves or electromagnetic frequencies. Number two, atoms, the small building blocks of matter. Three, dark matter, scientific explanation from Pastor Dan. That black stuff in the sky that makes up 80% of our universe. Even more intriguing, antimatter, stuff that's opposite of matter. Would you love to have me for a science teacher? And in parenthetical, I have no idea what that means. All right. Five, air, oxygen, the stuff you breathe that also contains other things you can't see that may kill you as well. Number six, ultraviolet light, an electromagnetic light that causes sunburns. Little known fact, bees can actually see this. And they have really good tans. All right. I I wonder how they find that out. I don't know either. Oh my goodness. Seven, infrared, an electromagnetic wave coming from anything that gives off heat or a really great sauna. Number eight, the mind. We can observe the brain and its chemical reactions, but thoughts are completely intangible. You cannot touch them, all right? Number nine, emotions. We can see the expression on people's faces, observe their body language, watch different parts of the brain react to feeling, but emotions are completely intangible. Number 10, quantum particles. Virtual particles exist on a subatomic level. In other words, they're smaller than atoms. Another, I have no clue of what that actually is. Number 11, the entire universe. Thank you to the Hubble telescope. We can see part of it, but we cannot begin to fathom the extent of it. Is that a God thing or what right there? It's amazing how we see that differently. Number 12, gravity. We're not all hanging upside down, clinging to pews this morning. Something is keeping us from flying off the planet. And the number 13 thing, invisible. I made that one up. That wasn't part of the list, but I thought that was part of our sermon today. So It is amazing how something very clear to us is so unclear to so many other people. 
Even the historical fact, many people deny. But as Paul said, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the invisible or the visible form of the invisible God. We have a tangible uh, manifestation of who God is in person, and He exists. Amazing to think to, uh, things to see. What firmless, firmless, uh, firmly establishes our understanding of that? Well, I want to take you and connect you, connect you to last week. I think the resurrection does that. The resurrection connects us with a tangible God, but in a form that is a little different than humanity. Last Sunday, we looked at the first group hug of Jesus after his resurrection. John 20 and verse 19, John tells us that on the evening of Jesus' resurrection, he showed up uninvited, the doors were locked, and the first thing he imparts to his disciples, do you remember that, was shalom, peace, wholeness to you. He showed them physical evidence of, of who he truly was. Then he gives them a divine mission and then he breathes into them the person and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But there was one person not in the group. Everybody know who that is? It's Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. So I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John once again to 20 and 24 and 25, please. John chapter 20, verses 24 and 25. We're going to look at Thomas today and see how God um, encounters him. 24, John chapter 20, 24 and 25. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus means twin, by the way. There are some that believe that Thomas was actually a brother to one of the other 12 uh, disciples, the apostles. Uh, God uh, brought brothers into the midst as we think through that. He was one of the 12. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Testimony. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, declaration, I what? I am not going to believe it. I won't. And from this moment on and for the rest of history, Thomas will be known as, which is unfortunate because they all doubted. They didn't come to a belief on who Jesus was on their own. The other 10, Judas has killed himself, the other 10 had a personal encounter with the risen Christ. That's how they were able to give this this. this adamant witness of he is risen he's risen indeed Thomas didn't didn't have that so it's unfair to characterize Thomas as the doubter as if he were any different than the other disciples he was no different than the other disciples he just needed an encounter with Jesus I don't know if that makes sense in your world or not by the way why can't people just by faith Believe in Jesus. Well, maybe they haven't had an encounter with him yet. Maybe they haven't had a personal experience with the risen Christ. This isn't about believing a set of facts in a history book. 
Does that make sense? We have a tendency to forget that. It's not like, well, open your Bible, read the passage. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you want to pray the prayer? That's not, that's not what's going on. That's not salvation. Salvation is an encounter with the risen Christ through the Spirit of Christ. That's what born again means. It's not assenting to a, a, a statement of facts. Do I believe that Jesus was a historical person? Well, goodness sakes, do you know how many people can believe that and assent to that fact? Millions. I say this again. Do Muslims believe in Jesus? Absolutely they do. But they've never had an encounter with the risen Christ. They only believe what's written in the Quran, which if they only believed half of that, they'd come to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, by the way. Because in the Quran, Jesus is actually elevated higher than Muhammad. Thomas is like you and me. We doubt. We doubt until we have a personal experience with the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the power and the quickening and the transformative work of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what salvation is. So I'm not praying for my unbelieving neighbors to pray a prayer because they read something in the Scriptures. I'm praying that my neighbors have an amazing encounter with Jesus Christ and that their life is transformed and just turned around in all God's people said. That's what I'm after. That's what's going on in the upper room. It's an encounter with God. It wasn't in a, Jesus didn't pull out the Old Testament and give them a Bible study. He showed up and he said, look, question Do whatever you need to. Let's get this thing settled. Now, Jesus was able to be there in physical form, and he's not for us, which is why at the end of the passage, it's so strong. It's amazing that any of us ever come to know Jesus Christ and all God's people said, please. It is. All Thomas needed was evidence that demanded a verdict like everybody else had. Look with me at 28, please. 26. Do I have that right? I just wrote it in my my notes wrong. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Okay. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said what? I want you to notice something. Did Jesus change anything from the first encounter? He didn't. He brought the same encounter that the other 10 had and he brought it before Thomas. I believe that that's significant because I think Jesus wanted Thomas to have the same encounter that the 10 had and I think he wanted the 10 to know that Thomas was not going to have anything different than the encounter that they had. Does that make sense, church? It doesn't mean that God does the same thing for, for, for all of us today. We all encounter God in a different way. But I think this was significant because this is, a, this is a group witness. And they need to be aligned together to experience the same things together as they go out from that place. And so that's significant to me as I think about that. All right? Look with me at 27, please. 
But now this is going to focus differently. It's going to focus right on Thomas. It's going to laser in on him. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Thomas, stop, church, doubting, and believe. Stop doubting and believe. I want to make three observations at this point that are going to be part of my application point because I find this in my own life. First, Jesus knew what was in Thomas's heart. That's what God does. He's able to see inside and see what's going on. Do you know that Satan cannot do that? He doesn't have that ability. He observes you and looks at your patterns and finds out how you react to things. And you know, if someone who didn't know me tagged along for 30 days, they'd find out a whole lot about me, would they not? And they would find out a whole lot about you. What is your patterns? What are your your common actions? How do you react? How do you act? Satan, that's how he gets his observations. But God is different. God penetrates into the soul and the spirit and he sees what's going on in there. Even though I don't tell anybody what's going on in my world, God knows it. That can either be a great comfort or great fear. He looked into Thomas's heart. He knew what was going on. Second, Jesus tells Thomas what is in his heart. So if only God knows the heart and Jesus tells Thomas what's in his heart, do the the algebraic function or the geometric function, however you want to do your math, that means Jesus is God. Jesus tells Thomas what's in his heart. The other side of that, from the human part of it, is Jesus seeks to expose that which is in our heart. He wants to get it out so that he can deal with it. Third, Jesus is willing to meet Thomas where he is, in his doubt, just like he did with the other 10 disciples. Jesus does not condemn him or belittle him. He hears what he needs to move forward. Thomas says, I need evidence. Jesus says, I'll give it to you. Go ahead, Thomas, right here. Put it in between the wrist bone. Thomas, look at my... Thomas, go ahead. It's not an issue. Do what you need to do. Most scholars believe that Thomas did not go through with that physical examination, that he could see what was before him and that he actually believed. But who knows? Jesus could have grabbed him and drew him close to himself. I, I like to believe that he did that, by the way. I can see Jesus taking a hold of Thomas. I can see Jesus making his heart race and conquering all doubt in his life only through the act of relational touch because Jesus did that throughout his whole earthly ministry. He touched people. And faith came. The result was the same. Look with me please at 28. Thomas said, great statement. My Lord and my God. Notice the personal possessives. 
mine, my Lord, and my God. Now, you might think that something different's going on here. In the previous passage, Jesus breathes on the disciples and they receive the Holy Spirit. But I would argue that this is the exact same thing that's happening to Thomas. Thomas was born again through the internal work of the Holy Spirit. He stopped doubting and he believed. And there's only one way that that happens. The Spirit of God taking residence within a person. He believed he was the Lord, which would have been the old covenant word for Yahweh, denoting obedience. He believed that Jesus was more than an earthly Messiah, delivered. He believed that he was actually God in the flesh, a different type of flesh, but nonetheless in the flesh. Now, how does Jesus respond to this confession of faith? Look with me at 29. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is about Thomas, but this is also about Jesus. Thomas has just declared that he's both Lord and God. And what does Jesus do? He accepts that. He accepts the confession. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't change it in any way. He receives the language of worship. Why? Because he is God. It's one of the most powerful passages that will confound Jill, a Jehovah's Witness. I actually looked this up. I have it in my library. I have the New World Translation, which is the the revised translation that the Jehovah Witnesses use. It's their Bible, but they make subtle changes theologically so it lines up with what they believe. Does that make sense? I looked that passage up. Guess what? That verse is exactly the same. There's no changes in it. So if a Jehovah Witness shows up at your door, ask him if he has a New World Translation and turn to John 20 and 29 and say, can you explain that to me? <laughs> now they can't. It's one of the conundrums in the Jehovah Witness system. Jesus is the God of the new reflecting the God of the old. It's who he is. Jesus also goes on to say that there's a level of greater faith that will follow. Jesus will not always be in the world. He's going to ascend to the Father. But there are, there are those who are going to have the privilege of believing without seeing, without having the personal examination, but they're still going to believe. By the way, it's not going to change. There's just going to be a greater, uh, a greater faith issue that goes on with God's people. I have never seen Jesus Christ. I've never seen him in person, but I believe. That's a strong faith, is it not? But you see, it's not, once again, faith in a historical Jesus. What I can tell you is that I've had a personal encounter with the risen Lord. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's changed my life. As Jesus said in John 3, I have felt the wind. I couldn't see it, but boy, I felt the effects in my life. And it changed who I was. And by the way, you can't argue with that. 
You cannot argue with a changed life. You can argue doctrine till you're blue in the face, but when they watch you and you're not the same as you were before, there's something going on there. And I would, I would believe it has to do with you connected with God. Let me give you some final points here as we, we see this together. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus knows our hearts, that he knows that unbelief still lingers, or if you've never believed in Jesus, he, he knows where you're at. He knows what's preventing you from coming to him as Lord and Savior. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, will expose that unbelief if you ask him to. He will expose any hidden motive, any hidden sin, any hidden gods that you've stored away. He's going to expose them to you. By the way, not to hurt you, but to help you in your journey moving forward toward him so that you can have a vibrant, saving knowledge of who he is and what he wants you to become. And all you need to do is just ask him. Lord, I can't seem to see this like other people do. I don't, I don't, I've never had the same experience as other people. Lord, would you show me what's hindering that? What's keeping me from a vibrant, saving knowledge of Christ? I've got a knowledge of Christ. What's keeping me from a vibrant followership of Christ? I don't seem to be a disciple like other people. Lord, can you show that to me? Can you reveal that to me in my heart? You know, God loves those prayers. He just does. Third, I want to remind you that Jesus is willing to meet you where you are. You don't have to be something you're not. You don't have to go to a place where you're not comfortable. All he asks is that you be honest about where you are and then let Jesus meet you where you are. I doubt and I need, I need to see. Jesus hears that. And how he chooses to do that, I don't know, but that's a pretty important prayer for him. And he will answer that if you're honest. Doubt is not unbelief, by the way. Doubt is not unbelief. Doubt is not necessarily sin. Doubt is the bridge that connects our faith to perfect faith. Doubt can actually be a path to a stronger, deeper trust, depending on how we respond to it, for doubt is a spiritual door left open. It says, you know, I'm still thinking about this. I'm still wondering about this. Pastor Joel and I had a conversation with one of the confirmands that are coming up, a young man uh, who we both kind of said, "Ah, I I don't think this young man knows the Lord. So we met with him and his grandparents who are wonderful believers in Jesus. And Pastor Joel and I were just really honest with him and said, hey, we're not going to force you to do anything. This is not about us conforming you. It's about you just knowing and Making a choice. It's yours. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus? No. Do you believe in Jesus? I don't know. And it was that third option that that young man chose. I don't know. You know, that's an okay answer. Because I don't know still leaves what open. It still leaves the door open. And that young man, I don't know what that was, Joel, was it two or three weeks later? I can't remember. Came to Pastor Joel and says, I want to get baptized. 
I believe in Jesus. And I went, wow. Amazing. Thomas did not openly reject the truth of the good news. He simply wanted what the others already had. He wanted a personal experience with the risen Lord. The door to Thomas's heart was still open. It wasn't shut. And when the time came, Thomas responded to the truth before him with a confident affirmation, a form of worship. You are my Lord and my God. And he stopped doubting and he believed. And at some point, no amount of evidence, church, is going to change the, the mind or the heart of a person. It just won't. Faith has to enter into that. Stop doubting and believe. Well, Jesus, I see the marks on your hand, but um, hey, could you do another miracle just so I'm sure? Well, maybe two, two or three miracles. Do you know what Jesus would have said? He would have said the same thing he said in the scripture. Stop doubting. You've got enough evidence. Now make a decision. Are you going to follow Jesus or not? You have had a personal encounter with me. Now make up your mind. Doubt is sometimes a polite way of saying, no, I don't believe. Hence the saying, don't throw your pearls before swine. Look for people who are doubting but truly open and then show them a life that has encountered the risen Christ. I hope that's you today. You're walking witnesses of what Jesus has done. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Are you blessed today? That's my prayer as we close. Let's do so, shall we? Father, thank you for the word of God today. Thank you for the the passion that Jesus has for us. And the fact that he just meets us wherever we need him to meet us. And then he brings us along. Let us have open hearts, Father. Let us be willing to acknowledge where we need work, where we need help, where the, the faith is stuck. Give us eyes to see that. Because Jesus wants to grow with us and lead us through the Holy Spirit. And Father, if there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, oh, Father, may they have an encounter with the risen Lord and God today. Let the wind blow, Father, over them. And may they hear the words, stop doubting and believe. Maybe a sample prayer, Father, that we can pray. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm broken before you and I cannot fix this relationship. But I've been exposed to the risen Savior today through the word of God. And even though not seeing today, I believe in Jesus. This day, he is my Lord and he is my Savior. And I ask, Father, that you would just forgive me of my sins, cleanse me, put me on a right path, put people in my life to help disciple me so that I can follow Jesus well and be a good disciple, so that I can be a witness, a living witness, so that people can see Jesus in me. That's our prayer, Father, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, please, amen. Thank you, church. If you need some prayer this morning, come on up. We'd love to pray for you. Apologize for going a little bit over this morning.